sounds like a long time, but we're really going to have a good time. But for the next six months, when I come up here to preach, you're going to hear me say, turn your Bibles to First Peter. So I'm going to test myself and see if I don't say it, you know, for whatever. You say six months. But what we're doing here, we're going to be in First Peter, obviously, and we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. And what I did... Um, you know, the Holy Spirit's involved, and in, in you want the Holy Spirit involved in what your pastor preaches and what he does, and we're looking at in-depth at First Peter. I'm preaching on it. On Wednesday nights, we're going to go a little bit more deeper. And as I went through the book of First Peter, I just was looking, I was looking for stops through the Holy Spirit, hopefully guiding me on, hey, this is where this would be a section. I know our Bibles have it sectioned off. But I was going, I marked through where, hey, this is something about, and this is another section. And so where it stopped for me in verses 1 and 2, and what specifically stuck out to me was the last line in verse 2, that grace and peace be multiplied. Just hit me. You know, it's a salutation that is common in the New Testament, but especially if this new year or any year, you need grace and peace to grow in your lives. And that's what initially stopped me there. And then as I went back and was preparing for the sermon, you know, it kind of took a different tint. And then, like I said on Wednesday night, um, we're really going to unpackage the thing of God's foreknowledge on predestination and free will. All are in those two verses. And so we're going to have a great time. And I hope you grow in your Bible study from that. And I hope, you know, part of your New Year's thing, you make a commitment to be here on Wednesday nights. We have a good time of fellowship, but from COVID, we're slowly coming back on some of the things we did regularly, but I encourage you to pray, and if you're able to, to be a part of that. And so, um, I entitled this sermon, The Chosen, and that's not just because of the series, but it really works here, especially because verses uh, verse 1. And in, when you watch the Chosen series, it asks the question, or when we did the uh, devotionals, what does it mean to be chosen? And I know that I look really athletic to you, but I know it's hard for you to believe, but when I was in high school and younger, I was kind of a geek when it wasn't cool. It's cool now, you know, and oh, I'm into this and into that, but boy, it wasn't cool when I was growing up, and you didn't get accolades for that. But I remember in gym, when we had to do different sports, and I'm not going to say I was chosen last, but I was close. You know, when you know when you got, hey, we're doing dodgeball today or we're doing whatever, those sports we can't do now because people are going to get hurt or whatever. And everybody chose the best athlete, the biggest athlete. And I know that was none of you guys, and it's hard for you to believe, but sometimes I, I don't I remember being chosen last, but I was in that zone. But, you know, we ask the question when it comes to God, what does it mean to be chosen? We got a new year, we got new choices, some of you are making new choices, some of you are continuing with the old ones that you've made, you know, all these kind of things. But we need to ask the question, what choices do I need to make? Not just because it's a new year, but it's helpful. But what choices do I need to make this year? We struggle to know if who is chosen by God. And if God chooses, what does that mean to our free will? And a lot of times the devil makes you struggle with Am I chosen by God? Am I towards the end of this thing and, and the picking and I'm at the bottom of the barrel and all this kind of stuff? And we struggle to know if we're chosen. We struggle to tell others that they can be chosen by God. And we struggle to know how to tell them and, 
and all about this. And so we choose either, well, I'm not going to choose. I'm not going to worry about it. We just die. Or whatever they choose is going to work for them. And when you choose not to choose, that's a choice. Or we can choose to be chosen. I want you to think about that for a minute. That's your action step today in your sermon, but it's also going to be your first point. It's going to spell out the word chosen. But the chosen are those uh, who choose to believe in Christ's sacrifice. They choose to answer the call to be chosen. And so your first fill-in spelling out the word chosen is choose to be chosen, choose to be saved. That may not be where you're at today, but I want if I'm busting any bubble, I'd probably do it every week. None of us are okay. All of us are sinful. On our best day, we're still dirty, just horrible people. But God sent his son to live a life we couldn't live, to die, to be risen from the dead, so you can choose to be chosen. You can choose to be saved. And so everything we talk about here today is going to do you no good unless you make that choice. And we're going to unpackage that. Because this, like I said, Wednesday night, this gets into some deep stuff. Does God program us? Are we robots? Do we have free will? The fact God knows our choices and works with them, your mind will you know, kind of get blown on that. But this is where faith and the mystery of all of this are. And some things we know and some things we aren't. We can see this in the opening of 1 Peter. Verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispensation in Pontus, Galatia, Capocia, or whatever it said, Asia. And if a pastor took enough time to pronounce it by something. All right. Um, and then we're not talking about gender either. Okay, anyway, these are all towns in the area of Turkey that Peter is writing to. What do we know about Peter? chosen series again really depicts him very well very raw fisherman businessman the fact that you know he realizes how sinful he is he realizes who jesus is he's a man that a lot of us can associate with that he struggles with his sin and we need to be real and we need to understand we're going to continue and when you think peter is doing well and he he's come out of this lifestyle he's given up everything and he's followed christ for three years and it gets down to the persecution and before that the lord's supper they're having a great time jesus is the superstar he's been brought into jerusalem everybody loves him and jesus says you know you're all gonna fall away and peter says they may but i'm not and Jesus said, I prayed for you. Satan has asked to deceive you. I, I don't want to hear Jesus tell me that. Hey, Satan has asked to, asked to shake you up. But I'm praying for you. If, if he's asked, I definitely want Jesus praying for me. And Peter's saying, there's no way I'm going to deny you and say I'm not a part of you. And, and Jesus says, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter did. And he ran off. And we need to give him credit because when he finds out from Mary Magdalene that Jesus is alive, he goes to the, the tomb and he realizes he's not there. And so then they go for the next 40 days what we're, and, and Jesus is appearing to more than 500 people at once and around this, this physical eyewitness proof. And Peter knows that he's alive. All right? And then we have that famous fish fry. When Jesus walks on the water, or he, he's at the shore, actually, the guys go back to base. You know, everything's falling apart. We were rock stars. We were with Jesus, all this kind of stuff. Now we're scattered. We're persecuted. Life stinks. Let's go back to fishing. You hear a voice from the shore. 
They're not catching anything because why? They're trying to do it themselves. They're choosing their own way. And they hear a voice say, hey, put it on the other side. And then they re realize it's Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him. Jesus has got a fire going there. And they bring the fish and he cooks them. And this is where Jesus restores Peter. This is at the last of, of, of the book of John where he says, do you love me? And Jesus is not, and he's asked him three times. And Jesus is not trying to be mean, but he's restoring Peter, feed my sheep. And then Peter's worried about John and Jesus says, don't worry about him. This is where you're going. Follow me. That's the Peter we're dealing with right now that wrote what we're dealing with here. I think it's somebody to listen to. One, because he's inspired by God. He was called by God, an apostle personally called by God. But he's a real person that's messed up. And, he, and even when he went to Galatia, you know, he's with Paul. And they're, they're eating ham with the Gentiles. And Peter had had, the, the Jews couldn't eat any pork. And anything that's unclean. And I'm thankful God got that all straightened out because we're all enjoy barbecue here, okay? But Peter had a vision of a sheet going down and pigs and all these unclean animals on it. And God said, rise and go eat. And what he meant was go to the non-Jews and tell them about me. And so Peter's in Galatia with Paul. They're eating ham sandwiches. Then the Jewish Christians come and Peter leaves the ham sandwich table and goes and gets the potato cakes or whatever. This is Peter the Apostle, the leader, the unspoken leader of the church, and he still struggles. I think this is somebody that is worth listening to. And so, why do we go through all that? Because as we study the Word, we need to understand who the author is. We need to understand about him, and most of you know that, but it's a good review. So, Peter, the Apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Um, this is in the area of Turkey that we see. And the audience are those that have been dispersed, that have been scattered. They were persecuted. We see in Acts that the church was growing, and God wants the gospel to spread, and the church always spreads through persecution. We don't like it, but you also get a sifting. I think that's what we're dealing with right now of the true church, those that are going to follow God regardless, the true church. And we see that persecution was hitting Jerusalem, and they were spreading out. And so... What we see here, they're exiles. They're, 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 the Jews were persecuting them. The Roman Empire was persecuting Their family or friends that were persecuting and it's the idea, uh, And it's the idea of, of uh, when they talk about exile or a, a stranger or a pilgrim, all these words, it's the idea of visiting a place for just a little while but not a permanent resident. That's who we're supposed to be. If we choose to be chosen, we, this world is not our home. But I struggle with all the time, it's like I try to put down roots. None of that's bad in itself, but guys, we've got to realize nothing is permanent other than God. And whether we have a relationship with Him or not. Now, encouraging them that regardless of what life brings, because these are people that Peter is talking to that they didn't choose to leave where they're at. They were pushed out because of persecution and God was using them being pushed out for the gospel to spread throughout the whole world. But what Peter's trying to say here is when you choose to be chosen, you live as a chosen person regardless of what's going on in life. But what we're dealing with are snowflake type personalities is not because of someone's age but as Christians that any kind of persecution or any kind of pushback we melt no 
It's not about what's going on in life. It's about who chooses us. And so that's still true today. Your next film, The Chosen Understand, Here is Not Our Home. Here is not our home. I have, I mentioned I have a, a playlist that says at my funeral. And I picked certain songs, you know. Listen close if I go before you, okay? And I've got another one from We Are Messengers that it's an Irish blessing. No, I don't drink, but I do like it. Not drinking the Irish blessing that he uses, you know. Um, and one thing it says, and I had to listen to it like three or four times, but one thing he says Walk slowly, go easy, and love freely. The younger you get, the more you don't want to walk slowly. The younger you are, I'm talking about myself, the more you don't want to go easy. And even the older you get, the more you don't want to love freely. But we need to understand we're going a direction, according to Hebrews, and that this world is not our home and that we need to walk slowly, go easy, and love freely. We need to live like we're just passing through. But I struggle with it. I'm sure you struggle with it. We act like this world is our home. We wonder why, not putting it down, we get sick. We wonder why people die. Not lessening that, but we suddenly get surprised. And I don't think we need to have a macabre kind of attitude that life stinks because life is wonderful and God has designed life for us to enjoy it, even in its fallen state. But this world is not our home. And so if we choose to be chosen, we need to act like here is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. Our home is in heaven with God. And this, this world is not our home. We live on earth, but it doesn't... Um, it doesn't matter um, exactly where we live or how we're living. We need to live for Christ, but I mean the circumstances because this world is not our home. We need to focus on our forever home. We need to focus on the shortness of life, and we need to focus on the uncertainty of life. And again, hear your pastor clearly. Oh, life is short. Life is uncertain. I'm going to live in fear. No. The devil would love you to do that. We just need to realize... Hey, this isn't it. I need to love people now. I need to walk slowly and smell the roses. I need to, to, to love freely. I need to go easy because this isn't it. And guys, the people that are lost, which we were, those that know Christ, they're going through with all this false fear and tension. And we need to be focused because God knows. Go to verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is like a $10 verse right there. I mean, each line could be a sermon. And I was focusing on may grace and peace be multiplied in you. But we've got all this stuff we're going to unpack a little bit more on Wednesday night. But let's go back to the first line of verse 2, and it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge. God knows exactly what, uh, what all of us will do. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. If you wanted to explain foreknowledge, here's the bottom line. God knows. And God's not bound by the past. God's not bound by the present. God's not bound by the future. God's not bound by time. That's why when people ask me, well, where are people that have died? And, you know, and we know from the people in the cross are in heaven. When does the judgment happen? How does this all happen? Because when we die, we step out of time and it's happened. 
I know, your mind's blown. If you were into Doctor Who, you would understand that better, but we won't get into that. All right, time travel, okay? Sci-fi, some good things to help, okay? But God uses the knowledge for our own good. Once you understand that, God knows, and he uses that. You go back to Pharaoh, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because he wanted to make somebody that was mean and a villain, and he wanted to send them to hell? No. He knew the choice that Pharaoh made, that, choice, that Pharaoh would never choose him, so he used Pharaoh as a tool to rescue his people. Boom. Mind blown. We'll get into that a little bit deeper. The, uh, Wednesday night. The chosen of God are those who are chosen by, by, what, uh, by what God knows. God knows the choices we make. God knows who will choose to, to be with them and who will not. And they, God knows who will be the chosen, which means the elect. And you see that word in verse 2 or verse 1, the elect. Uh, uh, Peter, the apostle, Jesus Christ, those who are elect. You know, those that are chosen. Again, I believe in free will. But God knows the choice he, you're going to make, so he chose you. Because you chose to be chosen. I know. All right, there you go. That's just the, on this part. But... Here's the next fill-in. The benefit of choosing to be chosen is knowing our election is sure. It's not contested. There's no hanging chads. We got God's vote. I want you to think about that. I didn't grow up. I'm a Christian. I know why I'm a Baptist. I was pretty down on Southern Baptists because the ones I saw growing up, and I'm not any better than them, but I'm a legalist saying you've got to do this and this and this to be saved. And that's just as wrong as I saw the Southern Baptists. I got my fire insurance. I'm, I'm saved. I'm all good. I'm going to do whatever I want. doesn't matter. I'm safe and secure. Here's what I want you to understand. Both of those extreme opinions are wrong. I know that I'm saved. And when I get to heaven, it won't be because I went to seminary. It won't be because I was a pastor. It wasn't because I did nice things, whether you saw them or not. Jesus, period. And so what I want you to understand, you can have that security, not once saved, always saved. When you're saved, you're saved. And they talk about it during to the end. That doesn't mean you get saved and you better act right and keep your clothes, spiritual clothes clean. No, can't do that. It doesn't work for me. Those that follow God to the end are proof that they had made that decision and that God had saved them, not by anything that they had done. And so we can, our election is sure. You know, he caught some of those things not contested. No hanging chads. When you choose to be chosen, you've got God's vote. You're good. Now the devil, what he's going to do, and Romans 8.1 says there's no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He's going to make you doubt that because he's going to make you look at what you've done. Guess what? You can't do anything. You just need to choose Christ and what he has done. And that all of us are chosen if we choose that. And when we have the security of God being God's elect and being chosen, we're free to live right. Go to verse 2 again. According to the foreknowledge of God, God knows the the Father in sanctification of the Spirit. Again, each of these, these sections are huge theological things. We're elected, we're chosen by God to be sanctified. That doesn't mean to be perfect. It means to be holy. It means to be separated. It means to be set apart. It means to be salt and light in a dark world. And the problem is, is you look at statistics, and it's been true for a long time, and I'm sure if I look at statistics today, it's still true. A dying world cannot see the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian 
because we're not being set apart. Because all of us use this excuse. Well, I'm saved by grace, so I don't have to act like that. Do you want to be closer to God than you were before? Do you want to look more like God than you did before? Not to be saved, not to stay saved, because you are saved. Because you have chosen to be uh, chosen. We're called to be holy. We're called to be different. Why Why do we need to look like everybody else? Why would anybody want a vanilla? You know, in the sense of a flavor of ice cream. We are called to be different because this world needs that. And that's being set apart. Your next fill-in. Choosing to be chosen means to be set apart, sanctified, and holy. This year, how well are they seeing the difference in your life? Oh, I, this, I do go to church on Sundays. I, I, I do go to Bible study. Not because it saves me or keeps me saved, but I need it to grow and to fellowship and to walk in this dark world. And people notice the difference. <coughs> when, what are you doing with your time on Sunday morning? Those kind of things. We're to be set apart. We're to be holy. It's a, how are they going to know about sin if we just agree to everything? If we give in to everything? If we don't take stands for things? I don't mean pushing on other people, but how are they going to know about sin and holiness and God's standard? A sign of one who chooses to be chosen is obedience. Look at the next part of verse 2. For obedience to Jesus Christ. The sign, um, he goes on to, for the sprinkling with His blood. I want us to understand, the Jewish Christians understood this because in the Old Testament, God, uh, God started the sacrifices that when He had a covenant, there had to be a covenant of blood. Somebody had to die for that. And the sprinkling of the blood sealed the covenant that this is, a, this is a solid thing. And then we see when Jesus comes, His blood on the cross was shed for us to seal a covenant that we can have relationship with God. And a covenant is a solid thing. I want you to understand, if you're saved and you're chosen and you're secure and you have the Holy Spirit, then what's keeping you from obeying God? Why shouldn't you obey God? (coughs) Because you love God. God God wanted a creation with free will. God willed uh, to create a creation who could freely choose Him, who could love and worship Him and obey Him, and serve him, but he's not going to make you do it. I started reading through. I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, but not the whole Bible again. I've got a C.S. Lewis Bible. It's got his quotes in it. And I'm reading his quotes, and then the section of the Bible it talks about. And I'm in Genesis right now. And one thing he said in the quote, he was talking. I was reading about sin, and here God gave us a choice. And in Genesis, we see Genesis chapter three. I was reading there where God told them not to do one thing, and they did it. Sin entered the world, and this is why we struggle. And what we struggle with is making ourselves God. And one statement that he said that really stuck out to me, we were designed to be adjectives, and we try to be nouns. Now, my wife's better at English, but I can understand the noun is the subject. The adjective, you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, is the description. We were not created to be the subject. It is not about me. It is not about you. We are chosen to describe God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, Genesis 1.27. And then uh, John 3.30 says, He must increase and I must decrease. And so when we choose to be chosen, our whole purpose is we were created to glorify God. 
I don't know, that stuck with me today. We are not the noun, we are the adjective. But most of us, when we're walking our own way, it's all about me. Look at me. And so choosing to be chosen means, uh, your next part, means we are, to, we are free to endeavor to obey. I want you to understand that. We are free to struggle. We don't struggle to be free. A lot of us say, I, I came from the background of I have to do this to be saved, to stay saved. That is a life from the pit of hell. On my best day, I, I, my righteousness is as filthy rags. You need to set that apart. You need to be salt and light because you have a relationship with God and you need to obey God so people see, why is he doing that? Why are they doing that? Because you're describing God in your actions. You're describing the noun, the subject. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And so, you know, we don't obey to be saved. We endeavor to obey to describe God. The question I got, what kind of description are you giving of God in the people around you? I'm around, I mean, you guys aren't a tough crowd, but I'm. God keeps putting me with lost people. That's a good thing, okay? And... I'm around some tough crowds. And they already know, a lot of them, that I'm a pastor. And I'm not ashamed of that, but they've, they've got a stigmatism on what a pastor is. And I'm just trying to be a godly man. I'm not ashamed that I'm a pastor. But we need to ask the question, how did you describe God with your life last year? Oh, pastor. How are you going to describe God? Are you a person that I chose to be chosen and so therefore I'm different? and I'm set apart, and I'm obeying God not to be saved, but because I am saved? What kind of adjective would you be? We endeavor to obey because we are, because we are free to, like I said, struggle. We don't struggle to be free. We are saved. Because God knows. He, he knew some would choose Him. He knew some would reject Him. And some would choose to be chosen to know the, the ever-multiplying an ever-growing grace and peace of God. That's, I finally get to the one that got me to stop and say, this, I want to preach on that. That's a prayer. That's a salutation that grace and peace grow in. I've told you all the things you're not doing, or, or maybe you've been under conviction. I'm talking about myself, but boy, I could sit there and make everybody feel bad, and me included, but boy, I'm thankful for the last part there. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And peace of God doesn't mean everything's going on well in your life, but you're at peace with God. And you know this year, as you choose to be chosen, as you endeavor, that is something, that's a goal we need every year. God's grace, help me. Help me, God, so I can follow you. God, give me peace when I am being set apart and I'm obeying you and the world doesn't like it. Let it grow in me. A fallen world now, we're in the now and not yet, we're chosen, and it's going to be completed later. Your last part, making the choice to be chosen means we need grace and peace to grow in our lives. And that doesn't mean, well, I'm going to act so bad this year so I get a bunch of grace. That's cheap grace. And Jesus Christ died for you, God gave His Son for you, and that is a costly grace, and don't spit on what He's done. It should hurt you when you hurt God. But you know what? I need grace every day. Because every day I want to do, I, I want to be the noun. 
I need to be an arrow pointing to God, like I mentioned Rich Mullins talked about. I need to be describing God accurately. And so we need grace and peace to grow in our lives to be multiplied. In, in, need of, in the need of grace and peace of God, in a fallen, we need that in a fallen world. And it shows that we are chosen. So a question I have for you today, when we get ready for our time of invitation, this is what God laid on my heart today and, and, and this season. What choices are you making this year? Um, you, first of all, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, you need to come before in a time of invitation and say, look, I choose you to choose me. I'm not doing a play on words. It works. But when we unpackage this Wednesday night, you're going to understand God knows the choices we make. He doesn't make the choices, but He works in that. Blows your mind. I don't know who's going to choose Him or not. You don't know who's going to choose Him or not, but He tells us to go and to tell and to call. So I'm going to call you today. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. And I encourage you to come and receive Christ. Some of you may need to take a step of being a part of this local church or following believers' baptism. I don't know what that looks like for you today, but what do you need to make? Um, how strange are you? Are you being salt and life? You may need to understand that you need Christ a little bit more. How secure do you feel? How set apart are you? How obedient are you? Are you growing in the grace of God? If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you've, been, you've chosen to be chosen. I go back to the statement C.S. Lewis said. And I go back to Paul, what he said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This one thing I do, forgetting the past and pressing on towards the mark of Jesus Christ. I, wanna, I want you to look at today. I want you to look at this week. I want you to look at this year and ask the question, am I describing God? Am I... Am I pointing to God, or is it about me? Am I the noun, or am I the adjective? You need to be the adjective, and you need to describe God. And as we enter a new year, as we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation, this is an altar that we can pray at. And I want us to be encouraged, to be comfortable, to come. You don't have to talk to me. I'll help you however you can. You can come to these front pews. Whatever you need to do, I want you to be comfortable to say, hey, I'm going to pray. And this area of my life, I need to do this. But we need to make those statements. And we need to do those things to be set apart because we are chosen. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I pray however we need to be obedient that we will do it today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.